Have you seen me dice bag? <laughs> Files. Hello, my name is Dirt the Dice, the host of the Grognard Files podcast, where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. We take a break in our normal schedule and format to give you something a little extra if you want it. After the SARS-CoV-2 hiatus, we return to UK Games Expo 2022. It was 10 days ago, but now seems like a lifetime. It was good to be back, taking a break from the daily grind and immersing ourselves in a gaming bubble, surrounded by friends and strangers who became friends. It's such a happy place to be. I was milling around and bumped into listener Robert Compton and his partner. They were about to spend a day in a LARP at the end of the world, dressed up as a hen party. They had feather boas and everything. It's that kind of event, little pockets of wonder taking place in the nooks and crannies all over the NEC in Birmingham. What follows is a fairly detailed discussion of the games we played and the stuff we bought to give you a flavour of our experience of the weekend. I hope it's not too indulgent. I'll be back at the end with some parish notices. Until then, ramblers. Let's get rambling. Hello, Blythe. Welcome to the Zoom of Roleplaying Rambling. Hello, Dirk. This time last week, we were there, weren't we? You we were there, yeah. Yeah. What were we doing yeah, this we time were. last week? Were we uh, standing up trying to eat a burrito without getting it on our toes? So that's what we're going to do in this uh, uh, 40 minutes or so. We're just going to look back over UK Games Expo, our experiences, what we played and the stuff we bought. UK Games Expo, for people who don't know what it is, it's the uh, biggest convention that's held in Birmingham every year. It's the biggest in the UK, third biggest in the world, I think, after Gen Con and Essen. 37,000 individual visitors this time. It did run last year, but it was reduced numbers. So we haven't been for two years. It's regular in our calendar since we've come back into role-playing, hasn't it? We enjoy going there every year. Yeah, it's good. And it's always odd when you say it's the second, the third biggest in the world because we only see a little bit of it, don't we? We only see our bit because we go for the role-playing games, which are in the Hilton Hotel and the Trade Hall, wander around the Trade Hall, which we might talk about later. But there is that element of other stuff going on, isn't there? Big, big card game tournaments and all sorts of things like that. We don't involve ourselves in that. So there's an odd, no. odd worlds within worlds, isn't it, export? And there's like a, other pockets of things going on, isn't there? Because there's the Viking people who live in tents on the outside of it, oblivious to everything else that's going on. They just seem to be <laughs> enjoying themselves, playing Nine Man's Morris. Yeah, Viking encampment, yeah. Just have doing their own thing as Vikings. There were some Romans as well. I spotted some Romans. I don't oh. know whether they were in the Viking camp. I don't know what's going on there. Historically inaccurate, I would suggest. But. <laughs> there, there was a point during the weekend where they came towards us, enraged, didn't they? They were in en masse, sending off the security thing, beeping and hollering away, leaving the security personnel unsure what to do. They were just yeah, they were. doubled up laughing as these <laughs> Vikings hit the hall, armed to the teeth with swords and everything. What could they do? What could they do? Can we see your bag? Well, that's that, exactly what can, what can you do. Are you carrying any weapons? Yes, but then a shield. And I've got your mail on. Yeah. <laughs> so with, with this one, we decided that we would play more games, didn't we? I have a very strict policy on conventions where I always run one game and then play the rest of it, whereas you, you've ended up running three on the bounce, haven't you, and things like that in the past. I think you enjoyed, but I think you might have lived to regret it. Yeah. This time, though, it was you who uh, signed up to play a game first, wasn't it? You you 
put yours in first. And I was unsure yeah. whether I was going to actually submit mm. again to uh, run, but it was only because you did it. I did it. So don't blame me. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Don't blame me. Though. Well, we'll have a chat about that and uh, what we yeah. did to uh, prepare for it. But let's just um, have a look at the games that we played. So we played together first, didn't we? I mean, yeah. although it, can we, before we before we do that, before we do that, can we talk about the the opening game of Expo, which was Find Dirk's Belt? What? <laughs> there was a game of Find Dirk a Belt, wasn't there? Let's let's not gloss over this experience that we had. That I was. You've been on holiday the week before. I think this is your excuse, but I, I don't even know you can do this really. And you, <laughs> I was there on the train, wasn't I? I got there nice and early. I'm sat on the train at Manchester, and there was another twenty minutes or so before it set off. And I get a message to say um, I'm on my way, but my speed, my speed may be impeded by the fact I am not wearing a belt. I have lost my belt and have to hold my trousers up as I'm moving across Manchester Piccadilly. And I thought, hey, you lose a belt. I mean, my belt's always on some trousers. It's always on some jeans. It's always on something, isn't it? But you'd lost your belt and you got on the train looking slightly put out by the fact that your trousers may fall down at any minute. You know, any one false move. I did feel like that because <laughs> I, I had a trolley bag. And uh, I was also carrying hand luggage. And I was, as you say, clutching my trousers because it, it felt like, you know, any moment as I was um, waddling across Manchester Piccadilly that they may go. <laughs> but fortunately, when we arrived in uh, Birmingham, we managed to queue up at Next for a bit too long, I thought, uh, to get a, a belt. It, it was a surprisingly long queue, wasn't it? And yeah, we had to go to first stop was Next to buy a belt. I stood there in next thinking, I didn't think I'd be here when we were to Expo. I was, I was that long in the queue, I was contemplating buying a T-shirt with a corgi on because it was the uh, Plotty Jeebs weekend, wasn't it, where everybody <laughs> had to have open displays of affection for a royal family. So it coincided yeah. with that. That was one of the nicest, nicest things about Expo, wasn't it, that the, the Plotty Jeebs, as you call it, we completely missed it. We completely missed it. It was like it was not happening when we were in Expo. It was like that was not happening. When I got home on the Sunday, there was all stuff on the news about all this stuff that had been going on, street parties and concerts. I thought, I didn't know about any of this. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I did have a Cod Save the Queen sandwich, which you was deep-fried goujons in a bun to celebrate... <laughs> The auspicious occasion of our head of state <laughs> being in place. It was, you know, it was essentially a fish finger sandwich. God save the as... queen. God save the queen. Yeah, yeah. God save the queen. Yeah, we queen. missed it. Although we did very well. We yeah, we did. Yeah, we missed all. The... I, I always think when it's those uh, occasions, so that uh, Kate is sitting there looking upon all those the throng of people wearing. Union Jack plastic bowler hats and bunting. It's paid, ain't it, for her mum and dad? Because that's they're in the line of uh, selling party tat. That's uh, yeah, they do, don't they? Sell, yeah, yeah. His his mum, his mum wears a silly hat crown, and and her mum sells silly hats. It's a it's a marriage made in heaven, isn't it? Really, but you're right. Yeah, there's a there's a symbiotic relationship there, isn't it? That yeah, the, every time there's a royal wedding, I mean, it's like a royal wedding, isn't it? When she married Prince William, her family would have made a fortune off the little party poppers and the Union Jack flags. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's a fantastic uh, combination. And uh, paper plates with the daughter's face on it. Yeah. yeah. That's, That's weird, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Paper yeah. plates with the daughter's face on it, but they're, they're in the business of selling those plates. The kids stole the show, though, didn't they? Those little kids, they stole the show. All dressed like little little people from the nineteen fifties. So if they're all in little suits and strange strange shorts, and they're like weird, like kids who have travelled in time, don't they? Like they've come from the nineteen fifties. These kid dresses like that now. Which kid do you see that age dressed like they dress? No, nobody. 
No. Anyway, let's not get diverted by the midwitch cuckoos. Let's get back to gaming. <laughs> The first game we played when we arrived, and we 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 cut it a bit fine. We always do this, don't we? We we, we do. Yeah. We yeah. forget the distance between the train station and uh, the Hilton, so we have to yeah. dash head down. Can't stop and chat. We need to get to this place, and we got to uh, RuneQuest. And I think it's the first time I played uh, RuneQuest at a convention uh, without me running it. I, I've run. Request a couple of times, um, but that's first I think time. It, I think it is. I think it is for me as well. Actually, thinking about it, yeah, I don't think I've played it at a convention. I always, I always find, I always forget with uh, UK Games Expo that it's slightly different from the curated ones that we normally go to. You know, like uh, Grog Meet or Owlbear. You turn up and you realise that you don't know anybody, uh, so you've got yeah. that initial thing around the table where everybody has to establish what level of interest and involvement everybody has in that particular game and in role-playing in general. You're right. And that was the intro. I think that was something we talked about after that game. We both said, oh, that was a that was a reminder of how this kind of convention works. Because as you say, with Grogmeat and Owlbear and some of the others, you know, often they set up through Warhorn, so you know your players are. And even if you don't know some of the players, you, you know that you don't know them in advance, if that makes sense. So at least you know you don't know them, and you might know some of them. And also, they know you. And also, with Warhol, there's potential to message them, isn't there, and tell them things before you get there, which is really good. Whereas at Expo, yeah, it's more your old school sit down at a table, wander to the table and go, oh, is this, is this room quest? And they go, yeah, there you go, and you give me your ticket, don't you? And you sit down and you think, all right, okay. Don't know these people. I know, might know a few of them, but but not all of them. Certainly, it's as the game starts. People are sort of you can see a manoeuvring to establish what they know about the game, what they don't know about the game, what they know about the setting, what they know about the rules. So-called experts, don't you? And then you get people who know nothing. Yeah, it's just an odd. It was an odd reminder that. I mean, we knew that before we got there. It it, it reinforced it with us, I think, didn't it? But, Oh, I know you, you know me. I don't know anybody else. It's fair to say that it was a scenario that we ultimately avoided any conflict. So we didn't really engage in any physical combat. There was a couple Mm. of occasions where we had to talk our way out of situations. But it wasn't that kind of game, was it? It wasn't that kind of scenario. It was a kind of scenario that was set up where we had to memorise a performance and uh, take yeah. it from one place to another. Um, so yeah. it, that 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 was the that was the setup. So yeah. it, it 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 was good. It's really a, a good 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 idea. But it did depend on you didn't have the normal term based um, yeah. approach, so that everybody could have input. And because everybody was in different uh, places with it, um, there were people who were experts on the setting and. It struck me again of how important that setting is to that game working. And the other thing is that there was somebody on the table who didn't know anything about the setting, was incredibly curious about it. And and also it made me realise how I am a mid-ranking Glorantha fan. That, that was an odd experience where there was one guy who clearly was an expert on Glorantha and, and liked to express his expertise quite a bit around the table, shall we say, put it politely. And then there was someone who, who knew nothing. And I realised I'm somewhere in the middle here. I know quite a bit about Glorantha, but I don't know as much as this guy. I don't know some of the real detail on things and the cultural detail. I'm somewhere in the middle. But I agree with you because it, it, the other games I played on Saturday were very were much more traditional turn-based, fighty, dungeon bash kind of games. You're right, that sense of turns does involve everybody. You know, once you get into a fight, combat, and people go, right, it's your turn, what are you doing? Even if you feel a bit shy or a bit squeezed out of a game or you don't quite know what to do, there is that spotlight moment where they go, right, what are you going to do? Even if it's I'm going to just hit him with my sword, you get to roll a dice and you get to do something, don't you? Whereas, as you said, a, a more kind of discursive game is tricky, trickier to play and trickier to run as well, I would think. 
Yeah, difficult to run with six players as well, because that's the other thing mm. that struck me. It, it, just on that first game, that I become so used to the rhythms of online play, of just playing for two hours. So four hours seemed like a long time to play. And also playing with six players around the table. There's a yeah. lot of overhead, isn't there, to that experience? Just one, you know, five players is probably a lot more manageable than six. Four players is probably a great deal more manageable than Optimum. five. But one one extra player is enough to make it a little bit trickier. A lot. One extra player, or it's only one extra, it can make it a lot trickier. And talk about uh, yeah. uh, trickier. You made straight for the trickster. They go through the pre-gens and you immediately go, I want to play that one. I want to play that one. But other people are kind of looking at them and you think, I want to play that one. Don't, don't take that one. I want to play that one. What what would you like? What would you like to play the pregens? What would you like to play? And you immediately, I'll play that one. (laughs) Grab it. (laughs) It, There was a great moment, wasn't there, where this uh, guy who'd endured decades of pain and anguish at the hands of uh, our tribe. Um, So he turned up, and you decided that he was. You'd cast a spell to make him laugh uncontrollably. And part of that spell was to to poke fun at him, make him laugh, even though I was poking fun at his, his. 30 years of tormented exile. He couldn't stop laughing about it, even though afterwards he was quite cross at me for doing <laughs> that. Well, that was quite quite good fun. It was a good, I think it was a good scenario because in some ways you could say it was a traditional kind of MacGuffin hunt, wasn't it? It was traditional, go go out from the clan and find X and bring it back. We need to, you need to find this and bring it back to secure, help secure this marriage between two, two rival clans. But I thought it was interesting about it because it was a story it was an unusual MacGuffin, wasn't it? Because it wasn't a thing. It was a story you had to yeah, find. Saga, of course, the temptation. It? it was a saga. And also, because the temptation is immediately, players start to think, just make this up. What are the risks yeah. of us? If we don't achieve what we have to achieve, we could make it up, couldn't we? Unlike some MacGuffin hunt, did put you in the position of, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't have to be that accurate, this story. You know, yeah. we're a bit, we weren't bold enough to just think, to say we've got it and make it up, because that might have fallen foul of us. But... And we all have different attitudes to it. So although that idea of making something up was muted because of my character being a agent of truth, one car mine, yeah. uh, I resisted that. Also, I was offending the rest of the tribe because I was keen to write down this saga. And of course, that was against the traditions of... Uh, yeah, the or- oral traditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was- <laughs> It was good. It was a pity we didn't meet those trolls on the way and bash them over the head. But apart from that, yeah. it was... You know, a fight with the trolls would have been good, yeah. So on the Saturday, what did you play Saturday morning? Saturday morning, I played, for the first time, Dungeon Crawl Classics. Um, to see, if, as I think I said in a previous podcast, I've got the rules. I've never played it before. I've got the rules. I've read the rules. And I've thought, I like this. I like the sound of this. But of course, as we always say, play is the thing. I have to say, it didn't disappoint. I think part of their sales pitch is to say, this is going to be traditional Gonzo-style dungeon bash. Was it a funnel-type thing? Did you have multiple? No, it wasn't a funnel one. It, we were third We were third level. And, oh, of right. course, it was a bit peculiar. I tell you what was peculiar about it. When I got there, there were six players. When I got there, there I had a ticket. I had my ticket, done it properly. I sat down. Uh, I got there, and, and there were six players there already, and they looked at me like I was mad. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm on this. And then another guy turned up. So he ended up with eight players. And everyone had tickets. I heard about a few a few instances of that where a few games, even though it's all computerized and you buy tickets, there was a few games that were oversubscribed. So I nearly didn't get a game because, fortunately, the guy running it had eight pregens. And I did hear of a few uh, few people saying that, that they'd been oversubscribed and people had turned up. And they'd had to turn away because they had five pregens and five players and then a sixth or seventh one had turned up and right. they'd been sent away. So it was, a, it was a close run thing. I nearly didn't get Dungeon eight, Crawl Classics. Eight players, eight players. We're just saying that six players felt like a lot. Mm-hmm. Eight players, yeah. could the game cope with it? Um, it, it did cope with it, yeah. But there was there was a bit of you had to you had to wind the pace down. I think I think at, at first it might the first half hour or so it was a bit frustrating, but eventually I think we all got into the pace of it and thought, well, okay, the guy's got to manage eight eight players here, so let's just 
let's just take it easy. <laughs> you know, drop it, drop it down a gear. Drop it down a gear. Yeah, yeah. But it is a, it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And I played the wizard. I managed to get the wizard. One guy, one of the players went for cleric over. over. He went for cleric. He had like first dibs. He went for cleric. What? A, what? Ugh. I take it to one side afterwards. And I went a word with him. Anyway, there you go. But yeah, I got I got the wizard, and it was a lot of fun. At the very end, I managed to. It was one of the players said, you, "You've won the game for us here." Where we the big boss monster. I cast a spell, and in Dungeon Crawl Classics, you, as a wizard or a cleric, you roll a d20 and add your skill bonuses, and you look on a table, don't you? It's full of tables for all the spells. But you can burn strength as a wizard. You can burn strength. You get it back eventually. But So I burnt 10 points of strength. I had strength of 15. You're quite a chunky wizard. I burnt 10 points of strength. I got a plus four bonus for my level, and I rolled a d20, and I rolled a 19. So in the end, my Scorching Ray spell resulted in magma appearing from the Earth's core. All the other players suffered a D12 damage from the fire, which I don't think they appreciated. And I ended up doing 128 points of damage to the boss monster and killed it. And that was very satisfying. I thought, this is a great game. This won me over this game now, because as a wizard, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's a bit chaotic, because spells can backfire. The, the elven wizard... Uh, her ears shriveled up, got a backfire, and her ears fell off, which is a great, probably a moment, thing of great shame for an elf, isn't it? Um, but it was a lot. It's a lot of fun. Even say it's very gonzo. Um, you have to take it in the right spirit. But I do. I think those elements of it in play make it a very interesting and kind of enjoyable experience for players because you can do things. You're not just at the mercy of a roll a d20. You can argument things and give yourself a better chance and all those sort of things. And it's it, a lot of fun. You know, a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I think I need to, I need to run some at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I played Traveller. Uh, I always seem to go for Traveller uh, in conventions. What I like about it is that even though the Traveller universe is uh, well stored, isn't it? Every, everybody uh, is aware of it. I always find that each individual GM and players have their own interpretation on how to deliver it. So I played it a couple of times uh, this year, Traveller, but the way that the GM has pitched it, so the way that you pitch it and the world of the Imperium is completely different than, for example, I played with uh, Ralph Playman earlier this year and his version of the Imperium was very different. It is the tone of it was different. Mm. I think it comes back to what we were saying in our earlier episodes about Traveller, is that the the tone isn't implicit, is it? It's very it's because it's such a toolkit approach. Even with the additional developments and the different uh, information that you're given about the Imperium, everybody has their own take on it. And yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think that's that's very true. Yeah, that's in some ways that you could argue that's one of the frustrations of Traveller, but it's also, when you get a head around that, it, it's one of the benefits of it, isn't it? Once you yeah. get a head around the fact that it's a little bit more open in terms of how you want to put your own spin on it, that's kind of a, that's kind of a good thing. Just going back to what we were but, saying earlier, we didn't, I didn't know who I was playing with. It was actually a television's ghost-hunting superstar, C.J. Roma, who was the uh, referee run the game, very relaxed style, a lot of detail, really felt like the world existed. So we were doing a simple extraction of a, a crashed starship that was on a hostile planet, and uh, we had to recover uh, this archaeological uh, dig crew that had, uh, had crashed there, and we just had to recover them. And um, it was a good uh, set of uh, pre-generated characters. It was one of those situations where I was the only player who didn't know. So it was like a group of friends who block booked it, and I was mm. uh, the plus one, if you like. Uh, but I was the, <laughs> he, he, he distributed the uh, pre-gens uh, pretty well because I was the uh, veteran brigadier. 
who uh, you know was just seeing this as a military mission, whereas the others had a bit more skin in the game. Um, so we're working together more. I spent it in the stateroom. No ghost hunting involved in it. Though. It was there was no ghost hunting. No, no, no though, ghost hunting. Even though it was but... a ghostbuster, was <laughs> running it. I, I've recently appeared on uh, what were the smart party do you talk about zombies? But there was a oh. good zombie concept in this, where the AI had taken the 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 residual AI had taken over the planet. Most of the planet had died. However, there were these active nano robots that mm. once released were going to do a, a resurrection program to uh, get the population that had been killed in warfare to uh, reanimate and start rebuilding the planet uh, on behalf of the uh, AI. I thought oh, that was a really good, good it, idea. Yeah. Good idea. That was just like a a, a side uh, side, bit of side, it, issue, side, thing, side yeah. issue to the to the thing, and and because it, it was a good use of the place, there was uh, uh, a young lad of eleven who played the Varga, the impetuous uh, Varga, who uh, was very, quite trigger happy. Ended up shooting our target, uh, who was supposed to be extracting, um, and it it was great because it just fitted in perfectly. With uh, what we're doing, <laughs> I think if you've, I think, I think if you've got an eleven-year-old player and you're playing Traveller, then giving them the Varga is the absolutely the right thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Bad dog. <laughs> he played. He played. <laughs> he played it really well. You know, when we went down in the uh, raft, he was sticking his head out of the window, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> sticking his head out of the window and drooling. <laughs> Tongo. <laughs> Get yeah. his head in. <laughs> it was a really, really enjoyable game. Uh, really enjoyed it. And I did, was this the point where we ended up in uh, Weatherspoons by accident? I think that no, that was late. That was Saturday, late Saturday afternoon after our second game on the Saturday. Yeah, we ended up in another Weatherspoons accident, didn't we? Oh, Edit right. that out. Don't don't admit to that. That was terrible, wasn't it? Well, I think what we did, we it was. We're jumping ahead now, aren't we? but on the Saturday, I think after our second game, we decided because we're old men, we wanted to sit down, didn't we? I think as well, it started to rain a bit, and the food, the food bit outside. Whilst you could take your food into the hotel, you had to queue up. You had to queue up in the rain. I think yeah. we looked at it and thought, "Oh, I have to queue up in the rain. It's going to get really wet." So we decided uh, and got really wet walking to the NEC. This is a bit stupid, but really, by the time we'd, yeah. You think about it. That was a bit of a daft move. But when we got there, the only place serving food was the was the was a. It was a pub, wasn't it? It was a kebab, wasn't it? Yeah. That's, it appeared to us to be a bar, and we got inside. It looks up on the signage, and it was a spoons. Spoon. We're in the spoons. The spoons. Oh no! You know, it's good. It's good sometimes to go back to these places just to confirm your suspicions because it was dreadful. So <laughs> you know. You know, at least you can speak with some authority again, can't you? You know, I've not been in a Weatherspoons for years and years and years. Why not? Because they're dreadful. People might go, oh, they're all right now. Oh, no, they're good. They're okay now. Yeah. No, they're not. <laughs> We've been in one. It probably be a good thing every three or four years to go into one just to reaffirm the fact that, yeah, 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 this is a dreadful chicken burger that um, they've run <laughs> yeah. out of decent beer. Fantastic. Yeah. Don't have but- to go in one for another four years. It, it wasn't just the spoons that run out of um, decent beer. Also, the hotel did, didn't it? No pale ale, no. That's not. IPA. That's not the first time. That's not the first time. It always runs out of yeah decent. They always got lots of lager left, but but not none of the real beer. I was drinking Stella Artois last time. I drank Stella Artois. Travis were in the charts. <laughs> I, ju- I jumped ahead a bit then. What was the game in uh, Saturday afternoon? Uh, Saturday afternoon. I played and Neil Benson's old school essentials round the bend, the the imagine tournament scenario that he's run before. I've never played it. I didn't remember reading it, but I read the scenario. I mean, you know, 30 odd years ago, couldn't really remember it. So that was fine. Uh, where The one where you shrunk, you, you, you're half orc thieves and you get captured by a wizard and he shrinks you. Um, in order to gain your freedom, he sends you down his plug hole to find a magical lens. Yeah, he's dropped his contact lens down it, hasn't he? 
something like it's a magical lens and he dropped it down so you have to go down the drain round the bend it's the drain you go down the drain and of course you know the spiders and the beetles and the worms and the slugs are all monstrous sizes so you have to deal with all that and it was it was a lot of fun again going back to what i was saying about the RuneQuest game it, it, it was old school turn-based adventuring so it was good because everyone got a go talking about this this thing with this theme that we've developed uh, about being on games with people you don't know i knew everybody and everyone knew everyone but there was a young woman i would say possibly late teens early 20s and she was playing and i, I remember thinking oh this is a bit intimidating isn't it for her i mean not not that we were we were I like to think we were all very nice you know we weren't we weren't awful but but it is intimidating isn't it to sit down and she must have thought oh these these old fellas all know each other don't they they all know each other they're all like on first name terms immediately and you know oh dear so it must have been quite something for her they're on on day release from the nursing home yeah (laughs) yeah they're probably probably part of coach party it's coming for the day yeah Yeah. and and having the lunch enjoy your game enjoy enjoy your games we'll leave at six (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) kind of kind of kind of old men who'd wander into weatherspoons unwittingly and found themselves in a you know, did fail a failure check for traps, pub traps, failed the roll. Oh no, we wandered into a weatherspoon. Um, but again, Neil did a great job. She was involved, and the turn-based thing worked because it brought her into the game. It brought her in, and I, I think she enjoyed. She said at the end, "I really enjoyed it." Um, and what was interesting was she was uh, going around Expo. She said, "I've, got, I've come to Expo to play different games." She got into uh, role playing through fifth edition, I think, which is you know, a, a, a lot of people get into it. You know, a lot of our generation got into role playing through D and D, so it's not not a bad thing. But she decided she was going to play like an old school game. She played some Call of Cthulhu. She played some other games, and she was really enjoying exploring other systems. And she was quite shocked that in Neil's game, and it had to be Neil's game, didn't it? That someone was killed. A character was killed because she said she played fifth edition, and in fifth edition it was notoriously hard to die, isn't it? And then people get resurrected, all that kind of malarkey. But in Neil's game, uh, Julian was eaten by a troll, and it was just on one roll. It was just one roll. It no, that's it. That's, throw, it. Right? that's it. The dice you're, you're dead. That's you're it. dead. You're dead. <laughs> the look yeah. on her face. She's like, "Was halfway through the game, and he's dead." Yeah. And then Julian, <laughs> Julian then became the game's master's assistant. And, rolled for the monsters which oh, was, right. and then she, i think yeah. quite enjoyed that trying to kill the rest of us <laughs> <laughs> well that's a good idea but, isn't it that's a good idea yeah, but it's a good idea but it was it was a nice experience actually because it was it, it did have that sort of inclusiveness about goes to show how gaming kind of brings people together and can yeah. be can and be it's good it's good it for works. you all fellas to get out into it blanket over your knees and uh, yeah and yeah nice nice to get out isn't it yeah roll some dice yeah, I uh, in in the uh, Saturday afternoon I played uh, Conan two D twenty, and I was running a game on the Sunday, and I did it deliberately. I picked to play Conan, so I could make sure that I had a good understanding of the rules, because I I played it quite a bit online, but I always think the game get these games are so much different online the table experience and yeah. i played with uh, remy who's one of the demonstrators almost i think he's got a character in the uh, rule book because he's so connected with it massive uh, robert e howard fan and he has a good understanding of how to keep the uh, game running over the table and there were um, three other players and they all had a really good knowledge of uh, Robert E. Howard, there was a guy who was playing a Stygian sorcerer uh, from set. He scared the life out of me. He played, he played it so well. He was terrifying. <laughs> it was a really good game, very very atmospheric. And what I enjoyed about it, uh, Remy um, occasionally like stepped aside to give a bit of commentary about the... Because uh, he, he, I think he was a sensitivity reader on the original 
uh, rule book. And he was able, uh, because of his uh, heritage, to comment on some of the the cultural elements of uh, Howard and some of the racism, because it was about the cannibal uh, cult and you know, it, the implicit racism in that. And he was using the literature to show how this is literature. Um, so as long as you're true to the literature, um, that that that's fine. As long as you have this understanding, so I, I enjoyed that element of it that he was referring back to how Howard had used these tropes um, and how they had appeared in the stories to help you feel comfortable about the game and uh, uh, being part of that. I thought it ran really well, and it was really good to see the uh, tokens going across the table. Have you have you played two D twenty at the table? Or have you just done it? No, online? no, no. I've I've only ever played it online, and I agree with you that that is the interesting thing, isn't it, with games around a table, how they are not completely different, but but they run in, in a different way. You know, yeah. so, sometimes they can be they can be a bit more cumbersome around a table, uh, but so, or sometimes they can be a lot slicker and a lot quicker around a table. I think in the case of 2D20, it's definitely slicker across the table because mm. um, you're not fiddling around trying to find which button to press. And it lacks the excitement, I think, of uh, rolling the dice and seeing your successes yeah. and the exchange of momentum points, doom points, and uh, the fortune points. When it's done physically, it just feels a bit more exciting. And around that table... I've never seen so many twenties rolled. In that, in, <laughs> in those four hours, we rolled a load of twenties, and in two D twenty, that's a bad thing to happen. A bad because, thing, yeah, yeah, because that's a complication, or uh, it yeah. gives the games master more doom. And that's interesting as well, because when you play things on roll twenty or online, the number of times that things like that happen and everyone starts to query the the dice roller don't they this, the this isn't accurate this isn't random this can't be random what are the chances of that only the other night i was down at my friend's playing uh, you know my, my friend and his son i was playing uh call of cthulhu and i rolled 398s on the banks if that happened on roll 20 you go get out get out this is broken but it, it can happen it can happen that's kind of almost like it's random yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. So just before we move on to the games that uh, we ran, overall I thought that the uh, games were really good that I participated in. And it is a bit of a a lottery, isn't it, when you enter into particularly Expo. um, You never quite know what you've signed up for and how that's going to work. I learned some new things from all of the uh, games masters I played with and the players as well, the the way that yeah. some of the players engaged, I learned a lot from it, that experience, and I always enjoy that. I think um, I scored all right. I think I did. I All the games I played, really, uh, I enjoyed. I particularly Dungeon Crawl Classics and, and the Round the Bend scenario. I really enjoyed. I had a good time. Because I, mi- I have had mixed experiences at Expo. I think that lottery element can can sometimes land you in a game that, well, it's not bad. It's not what you want. It's not yeah. what you want. And yeah. as we were saying, because it might be people who approach the game or approach role playing differently, it can be an experience where you think it's not really for me. This I have had. I have had a few games that I've played at Expo like that. I think I once said it's probably in the past. It's been a fifty-fifty thing where I've had some fantastic games, but I've also had games where I've thought it'd be rude. It'd be rude to leave halfway through. But to be honest, it's not for me partly because the players might play in a different way. But this this year, I would say that was not the case. This year is probably my best year. I'm going I'm I'm to put something forward here, Blythe. I think mm-hmm. you become more tolerant as well. You've got a bit more patience. <laughs> do you think I've become more tolerant? Yeah. I do. I do. <laughs> do you think it was always my problem then? Is that what you suggested? <laughs> what tolerance I might that be suggesting that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Possibly, yeah, possibly. I suppose you do learn. I think, yeah, you're right. You you learn, I suppose, don't you? I mean, as we've just been discussing, 
you go to something like Expo and the more you go to these things, the more you think, well, all right, brace yourself because it may, it will probably be a bit like this. Whereas perhaps those earlier years, you know, it's, it's not like that. Although to be fair, I think it was my second year that was the the worst one for that. There's There's a bit of potluck to it. It's players, it's people who have a very different approach to, to role playing. I remember one game of D&D that was like on the Friday night where all the other players were friends and they'd all had quite a bit to drink and you find yourself in a situation where you think you're all a bit, you've all quite a, you've all quite a bit to drink here and you all know each other and this is hard work as a fellow player this is hard work yeah you know this is difficult this is difficult and it's not really what I was expecting from this game yeah. you know it's not what I expect from a game you know yeah and yeah people I've, I've had a drink when we I've had a drink when we play. Some people drink. That's fine, you know. It's all right. But they were they were roaring drunk, really. One of those yeah. where you think, oh, God almighty. It's yeah. not me. It's them. <laughs> <laughs> them. Most definitely. A games master prepares. Okay, hey. let's uh, look at the uh, games that we ran Sunday morning. Why did we pick Sunday morning? And why did we start it at nine o'clock? I mean, yeah, you get blaming me for that. I know that is stupid. It it was stupid, that wasn't it? But when I put my game forward, I I, I think in the past on Sunday morning, I've played games at nine o'clock and I just went for nine o'clock as if it was like conforming to some weird rule I've written for myself. But I didn't have to, did I? Let you, I think in the past, might be wrong here, but I think in the past they've had designated slots, haven't they? Whereas yeah. this year, did let you pick your slot. So we could have gone for 9.30 or even 10 o'clock, couldn't we? It should have been far better. I was walloping down a vegan sausage and pork egg at, at the Premier Inn, which is always difficult because it's they're made to order, aren't they, at the Premier Inn? Yeah, made, if, yeah if, made if, to order, yeah. If you don't <laughs> want tepid mushrooms and a grilled tomato, if you want anything beyond that, you have to order it, don't you? And the... Kind of look at you, kind of reluctant. They offer, really? you, they, say, they offer it you in the hope you'll say no. But we said yes. And there's that disappointment on the face. Like, yeah. Would you like, you know, scrambled egg on the buffet, the scrambled egg. Would you like a different kind of egg? Would you like a fried egg or a poached egg? Or maybe. And we'd well, yeah, like I'll have a couple of poached eggs, please. And the look on her face is, oh, God, really? Oh, no. We have to offer that. We're not supposed to accept you're supposed to yeah. say, no, it's fine. I'll have scrambled you're supposed, egg. Have, you're supposed to have that cold packing material that we have on the uh, bench over <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so we actually got got that down. Rushing across town. Luckily, my trousers were in position because I bought a belt. Secured, secured trousers at this stage. It was fine. There were no trouser issues, no belt issues. Yeah, and we, and we got there. <laughs> okay, so what did you run? I ran some Into the Odd. Okay, and how did that go? Yeah, that go very well, I think, as far as I could tell. Take us through the design process. Imagine you're on Open University, and there's a group of uh, students out there who want to learn how to prepare and put this forward. Yes, and I'm I'm there in a tweed jacket with with elbow pads, like a Open University. Yeah, (laughs) professor. (laughs) Days gone by. So, Um, so why, so why into the odd? I have a have a view on convention games that I. I earn out on the side of simplicity. I, I'm very reluctant to run complicated systems. When I, when I say complicated, not necessarily really complicated, but systems with lots of moving parts and lots of bits and pieces to them, I'm reluctant because I've had experiences at convention games, which have gone fine, but in my mind as a games master, it, it wears me out a bit worrying about the rules and realise that the three or four hour session just becomes about really managing people's understanding of rules because they've never played it before. So I went for Into the Odd because Into the Odd is a very, very simple system. It's very, very simple, very easy. That proved a, a wise decision because I found the whole session very relaxing to run. You could get into the scenario and what the players wanted to do without worrying too much about the mechanics. And also the players understood the rules from the they never played it before but they understood how it worked and that that was is a massive advantage i think with the convention games because you do get 
people who've never played it before. Um, they might be familiar with it, but they've not played it before. Um, they might have heard of it, but it's new to them. And I found that was was great, really. It, it, you know, by the end of it, I wasn't worn out, really. Sometimes the end of a game, when you run a game at a convention, I feel a bit worn out because I've 50% of my brain is managing people's understanding the rules where people yeah. are going, right, okay, what well, what skill do I use here? So how do I, can I argument that? What do I, how do I argument it again? So would it be this? Would it be that? And you think, well, these are all reasonable questions to ask if you've never played a game. But from a purely selfish perspective, it, it detracts a bit from my enjoyment of running it. And it becomes a case of rules management rather than enjoying the scenario and enjoying the interaction of the players and enjoying the ideas that the players come up with. So Into the Odd is a perfect game for that because it is such a simple game. Yeah. And it was also one of those games where you could generate the character. I didn't have pre-gens. They generated characters at the table because it's very easy to generate characters. Now, the day before um, the, Rune, that, uh, the day before the RuneQuest game, uh, the players were reflecting upon the uh, uh, pre-gens and they said, to it, oh, it's, it's always a terrible idea to roll characters at the table. Uh, mm. It just uh, slows things down and it's much better to have pre-gens. So... You didn't have pregens, did you? I didn't have pregens, but I, th- I would say it, it depends on the game, doesn't it? There are some games where it would be a terrible idea, RuneQuest being one of them, because it'd take you three hours to generate a character. There you go. Yeah, there you go. You've got a character. It's a great character. Okay, that's it. Thank you. Thank that's you it. for the turning up. <laughs> it's now time to finish. Thanks for showing up. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree. That is true of some games yeah absolutely you don't want to get bogged down in character creation for an hour but into the odd is just so so easy really it's three three d6 strength dexterity willpower roll some hit points roll on a few tables for equipment and they were playing mutants so i used one of the extra tables all the mutations it just gives you the mutation it doesn't it, it doesn't tell you much it doesn't give you rules for the mutations so one of the characters had a weird mutation where he had um a swarm of insects living within his body. And that's all, that's all it says. That is all it says. It doesn't, doesn't specify, really it, it, doesn't specify it, the insect, doesn't specify right. what they can do. And and he he had a, he said it was a bee, hive of bees inside it. And he, he used them as spies to infiltrate places, to go in and report back to him. He claimed he had a psychic link with these bees. And that, that was just great. That was great. It was a surprise for me, unexpected, because they were generated at the table and using players using things in inventive ways. All that kind of stuff is really, really good. And I really enjoyed it. You know, I would run yeah. it again at a convention because it, it works so well. Um so easy. Yeah. I uh, did and uh, a Conan 2D20, but I used um coal, the coal supplement. I love the coal supplement. I love uh, coal. A um, bit of a different hero to. Have you have you read any of uh, the coal stories? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a there's it only uh, short stories and some poetry and some fragments of uh, stuff that survive. It's really the first swords and sorcery hero, and he's a bit different than Conan. The way I described it at the table was, if Conan uh, punched. A camel, he'd knock it over and think no more of it. Whereas uh, Cole would be um, contemplating the existential crisis that could be set a- upon him through uh, punching a camel and the repercussions and consequences of of his actions. So, it's, in, in that sense, it's much more more cocky. And I think I submit my game uh, late and. Because of that, I just went into the uh, supplement. I cut and paste the Palace of Cinnabar Dreams, which is a an adventure hook, a story hook, just a paragraph describing something that's happened at court. I cut and paste it, submitted it to uh, UK Games Expo. It got ex- accepted. I thought, I don't know what's going to happen in this, but I quite like the uh, setup of it that, the uh, palace has been hit by some kind of secret slumber that's uh, causing everybody to go to sleep who have um, travelled from the east on a recent um, adventure. And uh, Cole has sealed the palace 
uh, to prevent this blight from escaping and affecting the rest of the um, place. And he's, he's reluctantly uh, encouraged people to uh, do something about it, the play characters. And the play characters were playing members of um, Cole's Court and characters from the actual uh, short stories. But I made a mistake there, didn't I? I made a mistake because you know what happened, don't you? Cut and paste <laughs> I do it. know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> Cut and paste it. A person of this parish who listens to the uh, podcast, uh, Helena Nash, contacted me and said, oh, I wrote that. I wrote that, uh, that uh-huh. adventure hook. Can I come and see what happens? Are you doing it? I, I've got an idea of what happens, but it'd be good to see what you do with it. Well, there you go. That's a challenge, isn't it? <laughs> do you feel like saying, you know that idea you've got, Helena? Could you tell me what that idea is? Because I haven't got an idea yet. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. So in my in my version, the slumber and come in a box, obviously, because I always have a box in my convention game. A box will appear at some point. If you put a box in, it gives people something to do and uh, a bit of excitement, a bit of mystery. Uh, you get that box in. And uh, when they open up the boxes, uh, they find these uh, items and um, th- these items go missing. And during the course of the adventure, got to try and find these items because they learn that that sleep it just it just in the same way that darkness doesn't exist in the world of coal due to the absence of light it's a thing in itself so is sleep sleep is a an entity and this wizard has uh, captured sleep so that he could uh, increase his wisdom by reading and getting the world's knowledge so he didn't have to go to sleep so he's trapped it in this box and uh, inadvertently the uh, the, the court has released this thing into the uh, palace and they have to find these items in order to slow down their vision so they can actually see it. So it's a bit of flatliners meets the thing was my uh, pitch. <laughs> it worked very well. It was quite exciting. And um, 2D20 works really well. It, with a bit more practice and a bit more use of it, it could be my new Savage Worlds. Yeah. Sometimes the case, isn't it, with systems that initially you you can be a little bit uncertain about them, as we were with Savage Worlds, and I think we were with Two D Twenty at first. You're a bit yeah. uncertain about it because they're not they're not that straightforward, but then possibly more straightforward than they appear to be at first at first glance, aren't they? Yeah, you know, I find that with Two D Twenty, it seems more complicated than it is. Yes, yeah, yeah. you know. And Savage Worlds is a bit like that. Savage Worlds can appear more complicated than it is. At first, people are a bit puzzled about raises and wounds and all yeah. that kind of thing. But once you get your head around it, you think, oh, this is quite quite straightforward, really. Yeah. So Hel- Helena, uh, for part of it, sat in the uh, fringes uh, judging me. And I think I passed. I think I passed. I think I did all right. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw her in the trade hall and told her to ask her whether she tried to put you off. <laughs> <laughs> to give you a hard stare when you were doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. This is what I was. This is what I imagined. You're doing it yeah. wrong. <laughs> and the way she described it was, um, the scenario was just like doing a, a summary of a film that doesn't exist in the Radio Times. So just writing there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She said nine p.m. Thursday. This is what's this is a film. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good way of thinking about it, actually, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Good way of thinking about pitches for conventions, isn't it, that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's probably the strongest pitch I've ever submitted because I cut and paste it from someone else. Because <laughs> someone else wrote it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the most exciting pitch ever. <laughs> good. <laughs> right, before we leave, uh, we should talk about um, the sordid business of buying stuff because... The expo oh, is a yeah. trade yeah. show, and uh, we did go in the trade mm. hall a couple of times, met lots of people, which was uh, very nice. I was yeah. on a bit of a bender, wasn't I? On a bit of a supermarket sweep. I went there with the you intention were. of buying yeah. stuff. You always are, though, aren't you? You're very different like that. You're, you are very, you're quite impulsive with things, and I am very much, I'm very, impulsive. I'm looking, 
I was very considered. I was very considered. You weren't. You weren't. You, you, by your standards, you were very considered. It is not very considered. I mean, at all. I I totally entered that room intending to buy Masks of Nyeflatep, which I've already played and already have. But yeah, no, of I, course, I, yeah, of course, yeah. You were nowhere hoodwinked into buying that, were you? <laughs> I could see that was a fascinating moment. That actually, where I could see your impulsiveness laid bare, laid bare, <laughs> where you were talking to Mike Mason. And you were looking at Massive Athletes app, and you were saying, "Is it, is it any different? Is it any it's different?" different. And he because was, and he because, was he was suggesting that it was a bit different. And you know, I thought, I thought, here we go. He's going <laughs> to buy it. I was ahead. Of, I was. I knew you were going to buy that before you did, and before Matt Mason did. I've known you for a long time, and I knew I could see it. Oh, it's just unfolding in slow motion in front of me. I thought he's going to buy it, isn't he? I thought he's not going to buy. He's going to buy. You know my algorithm. You know my algorithm, how it works, so you can predict it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, when we came out of Deep Freeze, that was the first campaign we played. It took us uh, three years. Yeah. And I still have a bit of a nostalgic of, uh, affection towards it. And it does look like a beautifully well-produced um, uh, couple of books and you get the screen as well always get the screen as you said always get the screen yeah it was it was very alluring and then my <laughs> mason said something about i wrote about pear soap in this uh, version and that <laughs> clinched it for some reason i don't I know why it, how was it? <laughs> that was a moment i said oh yeah i'll get it yeah i could i knew you were gonna buy it. I, I, and the thing is i didn't intervene i didn't intervene i thought it seemed rude to intervene <laughs> don't, just, <laughs> intervene, just don't, don't buy it i just let you buy it It probably puts me in a worse light than you there we go <laughs> so at some point we'll have to uh, rediscover that yeah see i think the is. trade holes the, the trade holes are always odd uh, i think odd for me because what i do and i've done this every year that i've been to expo i you have we have this joke, don't we? That I'll, I'll go around the trade hall for two hours and then buy some dice, which it is what happened. That is what happened again. I bought some more Dungeon Crawl Classics dice because they were only fifteen quid and they're twenty five quid now. So I bought some more of them. But um, it, it's that strange experience where, in in days gone by, if you turn the clock back thirty years, if we'd have gone to that kind of trade hall thirty years ago before the advent of the internet. We would probably need St. John's Ambulance to pick us up off the floor, wouldn't we? If you walked into that room, all that gaming stuff there in the huge trade hall. But no, it's not, it isn't like that because you, you can go to the Modifius stand, you can go to the Free League stand and KSEM and all great stuff. It's all great stuff, but you do know it exists anyway, don't you, through the internet? You know it exists. Yeah. Yeah. And it's available to purchase online. And a lot of it, the stuff I want, I have purchased online anywhere. What I look for in a trade hall is something that's going to surprise me and blindside something where I'm going to go, oh, look at this. Look at this. This is um, interesting. Never seen this before. This looks fascinating, you know, and that's that's what I look for. And it is, I think it's hard to find that. It's yeah. hard to find that. And do you know, I, it only happened once whilst I was there, and it was that Orbital Blues, you know, the uh, – the cowboy yeah. bebop type. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It looks really good. I mean, the design of it is really good. And I was looking at it and I got distracted. I think somebody uh, joined and we started chatting and I got distracted. I said, oh, I'll come back to it later. It was sold out. See, that's yeah. why you should act on your impulse and just get it yeah. straight away. Yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is probably an example, isn't it? That That's something that, yeah, you, you, I have I've heard about that. You can buy it online. You can, you can order it, but it's just on that on the edge of of being mainstream, so it does surprise you where you see it and go, "Oh, I've heard about this." Oh, right, I'll have a look at it, you know, and flick through it and that kind of thing. Yeah, which yeah. is the kind of thing I look for at Expo, you know, yeah. something something surprising. But it's but it's a slog to find it, isn't it? Because there's a lot of stuff in there and a lot of stuff that you have to wade through before you find yeah. it. My main purchases came uh, from Chaosium. I uh, earlier. Uh, before I bought masks, I asked uh, 
Paul Fricker to put aside a copy of Cults of Cthulhu, the new uh, Sinister Secrets of the Cthulhu Cult by Chris Lackey and uh, Mike Mason. Put one yeah. aside for me. Very kind of him because I wasn't able to get there. And uh, I, I was given it and I went to pay for it and was asked for ID. Like, are you dirt the dice? Because <laughs> person collected the money. Passport out. <laughs> well, he said uh, it was David Scott, and he didn't know who I was. And uh, he said it'll be on you. It'll be on your bank card, won't it? Well, I don't have dirt the dice on my bank card. You have to <laughs> Dirk T dice, Mister D T dice on his bank card. Thankfully, he accepted my T-shirt as a proof that I was who I was. I said I was. So. If only it was so easy <laughs> to prove your identity. He's, he's, he's slipped a bit there. His rigour has slipped somewhat, hasn't it? Asking for ID. Asking for ID at the level of bank card and then eventually accepting a t-shirt. your T-shirt as, <laughs> as ID. I mean, I'm glad he did and everything, but... But there's some slippage there, isn't there? The rigour that he's, well, he's gone from a very, very ri- he's gone for a very rigorous position. ID, please, sir. Bank card, passport, photo, driving license are, are acceptable. To about this T-shirt. Oh, yeah, all right, then there you go. I'll <laughs> <laughs> do. I'm going to try that. Next time I go to the, the bank and I need ID, passport control. You go abroad, you go overseas. Have passport control. No, I forgot my passport, but I'm wearing this T-shirt. Can I come in? <laughs> I'm sure it'd be acceptable. <laughs> Good. No, it was great to uh, catch up with uh, people uh, and see yeah. them after the desert of uh, the last two years. Uh, good to uh, see people and chat to them and uh, find out what they've been up to and talk about non-gaming stuff as well. So that was uh, that was uh, overall. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's- a good social experience, isn't it, as well? There is that to it. You know, I've not really talked about that, but the, the social side of it's great as well, isn't it? Yeah. The side of the game, yeah. meeting people. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was good. And I think, do you know, I think part of uh, the enjoyment of it was I wasn't, I, I'd managed my expectations a lot better mm-hmm. because it was only really the week before that I started thinking, oh, I'm going to Expo next week. And I think there were little surprises. Yeah. I yeah, it... and I, su- I suppose as well after the recent unpleasantness and lockdown, there was a, there was sometimes sometimes with these things, there's a sense of I'm happy to be here. I'm just happy to be yes. here. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm happy to be here and enjoy this in a in a relatively normal way. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I tend to uh, as well um, over anticipate and over prepare for these things and think through them too much. It was yeah. nice for it to be a bit more spontaneous and just take it as it came. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. Yeah, didn't think about it too much before going. And I, even the game I ran was, was, wasn't improvised. Come on, I don't do improvisation. But it was, a, it was more, more lightweight than other things I've run at Expo. And yeah. in some ways, some ways, Sunday morning is not a bad time because... I wouldn't say people's expectations are lower. That's not the right. But people are after. I because I've whenever I've played on a Sunday morning, what I'm after is a more relaxing, yeah, easygoing kind of game. Yes, you know, with a couple of decent tea breaks, and that yeah. that that's what happened in mine. It's relaxed and yeah, yeah, that's okay. You know, yeah, yeah, and you know, th- this a spirit of um, you're right. I I didn't over for the. Um, game I run on Sunday morning. I had a similar approach. You know, it was a, it was a, a scenario about sleep. So we took it. You know, I did have a timer actually. I did set a timer for cut. We had to wait cull up within mm. ninety minutes. So I put a timer in the middle of the uh, thing. I paused it for tea breaks, um, but they managed <laughs> to wake up cull. You'd be glad to know with forty four seconds to go. That's a relief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was good, it's exciting. Yeah, no, I'm good. I think I'm going to take that more relaxed approach uh, in future. You could say I was a belts and braces man before, and now I don't even have a belt. Doesn't even have a belt. <laughs> See you, Blaney. <laughs> See you there. It was really good to meet up 
and play with great people again at Expo. I really enjoyed it. I've got a couple of things to tell you about. The book club is back after an Expo break with a double bill of films to watch. Gilliam's Jabberwocky and Brazil. It's on the first Sunday in July. The first Sunday in August will feature the Miskatonic Repository Scenario, Full Fathom 5. Drop me a line if you'd like to take part. Finally, I've appeared on a couple of podcasts of note. The second season of Frankenstein's RPG is constructing a science fiction RPG from all the good bits of others. I'm on the panel putting forward my recommendations for investigations, magic and psionics. It's good fun to be part of it. I hope it's fun to listen to as well. I've also appeared as Stunt Baz on What Would The Smart Party Do podcast, rambling and shambling about zombies and how to use them in your games. I rather boldly put forward the idea that Goldeneye is responsible for the modern zombie. Ah, There you go. Let's see if that floats. That's it then. The end of the Expo special for another year. While I was there, I had a sandwich with Stephen Brotherston from Scarred for Life and we talked some more about games of Liverpool and the treasure trap story that I hope to tell you sometime. It was a really expensive cheese sandwich, probably the most I've ever spent on cheese and pickle in one go. I'm looking forward to bringing the second part of our Scarred for Life episode very soon. Until then, adios amigos. Adios amigos.